0: Thank you very much, Mark, and uh, good morning to everyone once more. It is great to be with you this last day of the term, and uh, I'm grateful that you're joining us on this last day of the term. I would invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2, which we're going to read from in just a moment. Um, It's providential, I think, in many ways. The Lord works like this so often that uh, here I've been trying to work through a series of how we think about our living in society, and now um, we are faced with terrible things around us. That is, there have been outbreaks over racial injustice all over the world in America, in my homeland, in terrible ways. But of course, in the UK and even here in Australia, we've been taking notice of uh, some really difficult things that have come about for um, Aboriginal people. It's very difficult to speak about racial tensions erupting around the world right now, partly because I'm a white man and the injustices that have long been carried out by people have looked like me. How can I speak with credibility or how can I speak with a sensitivity that gives understanding or seeks understanding for something that I really don't know in my experience? But at the same time, how can I not speak is a question. This is a question that I think a lot of people have been asking themselves, how can I not say something? And it's one that I'm asking. It's one I've been reluctant to actually answer. But it's also difficult because the whole world is eager to be woke. The whole world wants to be Woke. They want to demonstrate some kind of awareness of, of how just they are, and they want to tell the world how just they are. So they feel they must say something. And in fact, people have always said something. They've been saying a whole lot of stuff lately. And uh, of course, the they've gone beyond words in recent days to rioting, protesting, and at times retaliatory violence. But what's happened in the interest of wokeness I think is a a naive approach to systemic issues. I don't say naive in a derogatory manner. I wanna be very careful here. I say naive to express many people jumping on a trendy cultural campaign without real understanding. Some of this is understandable, I get it. How could you watch, I mean, how could you watch a video like George Floyd being killed in the street and not be moved to some sort of action. Today, I I hope I can speak to the issues around racial tension by allowing the text of scripture to be my voice and hopefully your voice. I hope it will be uh, something that will help you as you think about engaging the world around us, not just today, but for days ahead and years ahead. And the sermon title I want to call it today is, all lives matter i don't mean this as as a as pushing aside the campaign for black lives that matter what i'm trying to say is actually that movement needs to be situated in a much grander picture of what the bible is painting for us of how all lives really matter to god and so please look with me down at 1 timothy 2 and we'll read from verse 1 down to verse 7. And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of Gentiles in faith and truth. Keep that passage open with me. I I think this passage tells us one thing. I think it's teaching us that God desires and makes a way for the salvation of all people. And in light of this truth, we are called to pray and to live accordingly. Now, I I recognized in this passage two halves, and that's how we're going to look at it, two halves. The first of it being verses one to four, which exhorts us to pray for all because God desires all. Pray for all because God desires all. Verse one gives us the challenge to pray for all people because this is of utmost importance. It says, first of all, but really what it means is primary importance. This is the most important thing we can be holding on to. Now just pause for a minute for a self-diagnostic. I had to do this this week, actually. I was working on the sermon and I was struck, how am I gonna preach about a passage that is saying, prayer is of utmost importance in these matters and not pray myself. It really rebuked me. It was a real rebuke to me. And I just want to challenge you, are you in your life individually, or are you in your congregational life corporately, believing that prayer is of utmost importance? Do we really, really believe that? This passage challenges us to see that. and Paul tells us in he tells us in this first verse, He tells Timothy in particular that he needs to be making four kinds of prayer, four different kinds of prayer. Really, I take these words to highlight the significance of the action. But I also think it's to show that prayer is not just general, of course it is, but it's also focused and it's for others and it's with gratitude. So when we pray, we do so with real faith god can and does answer prayer he hears prayer for everything and for that thing he hears prayer for everyone and for that one we are meant to be bringing all of these requests to god noticing that prayer is of utmost importance but also notice that the focus of paul's prayer for all people is evangelistic what i mean is that the whole passage has a view to the gospel going forth to the nations. Now, I always wondered this. In fact, when I was in pastoral ministry, I raised this question once. I mean, is there a passage that deliberately tells us we need to be praying for the evangelism of others? It was a fascinating question to ask. How many passages can you think of that say, pray for the salvation of others? I I think we see something like it in Romans nine, where Paul is really lamenting the fact that his, his kindred have rejected the gospel and he's willing to give himself over, but here I think may be the most specific example of a focused prayer with a view towards witness to the nations. And I think it works like this. We pray for leaders, especially rulers, and especially the king, so that they might do their civic duty to allow us to live out our faith respectably. I recently gave a talk Uh, for the Center for Christian Living on the human right of freedom of religion. And I think this is something what's in view here. I believe that we are encouraged to pray for leaders so that we might worship freely. And I don't just mean meet and congregate to praise, I do mean that actually. I, I do think that's crucial. But I mean to live out our faith genuinely in godliness. We don't have to compartmentalize our lives and pretend like we're not something we are all throughout the week. But we can live a very genuine faith in every sphere of our lives. Paul wants believers to be able to live a peaceful and a quiet life. With godliness and with dignity in verse two. And that's what he wants for them so that they can get on with genuinely carrying out their faith as good common citizens in society. But notice in verse 3 that Paul tells us that our living out our faith is part of God's good plan. In fact, it's something that pleases him. But why? Well, because God desires that all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of him. Come to the knowledge of the truth in particular. Here, I think some clarity emerges about the whole picture. We commit ourselves to prayer, asking God to work his will. You wanna know what the will of God is? Well, God is telling you right here, this pleases me. It pleases me that you would pray for this kind of peace that you could live your life this way. Why? Because I actually want all people to be saved. I want them to come to the knowledge of the truth. How will this salvation be worked out? Well, through the governing officials allowing people to genuinely live as witnesses to the faith. Common citizens, common citizens, but ambassadors of Christ. And I think this really helps us to see that as we think about our participation in society, even as Christians, in a common place, even as God's particular people, these two things don't need to be so separated. We are particular people, even in the common place. And in that space, we witness to the grace of the gospel. So prayer is listed as the utmost important. It is a really, really crucial activity that we must uphold in our lives. But prayer is not what this passage is ultimately about. Prayer carries us into seeing and exploring the matter that is most pressing in the Ephesian context. Who is salvation for? The passage tells us that God desires all to be saved and to know the truth. It's this truth, which is the second half of the passage. The second half is that the truth is gospel for all. The truth is gospel for all. Look with me at verse five and six. I'm gonna read these out to you. For there is one God, And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Here I think is the heart of the passage. Take notice of the simultaneous exclusivity and universality of the gospel exclusivity and inclusivity, together, simultaneously held together in the truth. Why? Because there is only one God, and he is the God for all. He is the God of all. In other words, there is no other one to turn to for life, Life, sustenance, or salvation. Our God is not a tribal deity. He's not just a God of the minority interest party. He is the Lord over all. We can remember Paul's words in the letter to the Ephesians where he's uh, offering a prayer at the end of Ephesians chapter three. And he says, for this very reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. God is Lord over all people, all, all families. But furthermore, this passage tells us that there is only one bridge between God and man. One mediator between God and humanity, that is Jesus Christ. And notice here the emphasis on Jesus's humanity. Why? Because there is only one humanity. The work of one man, Jesus Christ can be applied to all Because there is only one humanity. Here, I think we zoom in on the language of all that's been running throughout this whole passage. We pray for all people in verse one. God desires all to be saved, verse four. Now here in verse six, Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all. Notice the language, if you're looking at the Greek, of of man, humanity, men. This is trying to talk about humankind, but focuses in on the one man. The one man now who captures all of humanity. Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all. And this inclusive all captures the truth of the gospel that it is for all kinds of people. In Ephesus, there was a... Problem of bad teaching, emphasizing the superiority or the exclusivity of the way of salvation for the, for the Jews. And you might recall the ways that Paul addressed this in his letter to the Ephesians in chapters two and three. Here, I think this tension is featuring again. Do these outsiders, do these pagans, these Gentile people, not of Israelite blood, do they have a place with God? Do they have a place with his people? Well, Paul reassures them, just as he did in chapter two of Ephesians, that they are now part of the one new man in Jesus Christ. Here in his address to Timothy, the gospel is on display for the Ephesians again. The gospel is for all. Humanity has a common heritage. One father, Adam, just as there is also one God, over all, the father of every nation. Humanity has one blood, in a sense, and therefore humanity is brought to singularity here in Christ. If there were essential differences between human beings, notice that, if there were essential differences between human beings on the basis of gender, or skin color, or any other kind of demarcation that we could come up with, the sacrifice of Jesus would not suffice. The clearest picture that we have against racism or race of any kind is the Lord Jesus, because in him we see the singularity of humanity. Now, of course, I don't wanna diminish the beauty of cultural differences. In fact, I think one of the riches of the gospel is upholding the difference of culture brought together in Christ that even Jew and Gentile are reconciled. Because in our humanity, in our sinfulness, we create tension between us, a friction that actually amounts to one trying to have dominion over the other, one trying to show dominance or, or preference of place or superiority of some kind. But in Jesus, we see we're human beings. And we're human beings with a common need We need this new man to offer a ransom for all. So what are we to make of all this? Well, having thought, having been thinking in my three sermons on political theology, I just want to locate this discussion in the bigger picture. I've been trying to paint for this, that God has given us a world with provision for all of life. He commonly upholds the dignity of all human beings, even as we are all accountable to him. But more so, he gives us good provision for us to live together in society, namely rulers over us who we are to be subject to, because these rulers are to uphold a temporal justice, even as we await the ultimate justice when the kingdom of God is finally and fully revealed. And until then, we are to pray so that we can live quiet and godly lives, that is, representing Jesus Christ to the world. Why? Because God is the God of the world, and he desires that all peoples would know him. He's made a way for everyone in giving us the man, Jesus Christ. As we conclude, I just want to think about pressing this truth into our context right now. I think first of all, we need to check ourselves in a woke world. I don't think we should speak just to be seen. Now I know I've mixed metaphors there, speaking and seen. I don't think we should be speaking in a virtual world in particular, just to be noticed. There's a lot of warnings about this. Who do you perform your righteousness before? Well, think about Matthew six. We have an audience of one. If you care, prayer is your priority. Now that's a big rebuke to me. And I suspect it's a rebuke to all of us. If we really want to show we care genuinely and earnestly, we pray. But this doesn't mean that we must be silent either. And I think there are biblical grounds for us to show the solidarity of humanity as we uphold and contend for the dignity of all. All lives matter. All people matter. So much so that God gave his son who took on human flesh. He did this for all flesh. So if we speak or we act, we must remember Jesus our brother. And as we live, let it begin with us. I mean, may we live in ways that demonstrate evidence of the goodness of God's gospel for all, showing the wonderful inclusivity of this very exclusive message. Let me pray. Father, there is no other God and there is no other means for salvation, no other way to you, apart from the man, Jesus Christ, the eternal son who took on flesh for us. This shows us, Lord, that human beings are common. We have a common problem and we have a common blood, a common heritage even, that has required the blood of one man, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, we pray, please uphold good order in society so that Christians might live out this faith, testifying to the goodness of this gospel for all peoples. We know that your fame and renown is surely owing. It is. It is. You are worthy of praise of every nation, Lord. And we pray that in these times of particular disruption bring peace. Please bring peace, Lord. And may the world see that you love all kinds of people and you have made a way for all kinds of people to know your love through your son, Jesus Christ. Praise to you for him. Praise to you for sending him for us. We pray it in his name. Amen.